Hello and welcome to this podcast, which accompanies the April 2009 edition of Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller, and each month I bring you an in-depth interview with one of the contributors to the current issue. My guest this month is Vikan Cheterian, a Geneva-based journalist and political analyst, and the author of a 2008 book, War and Peace in the Caucasus, Russia's Troubled Frontier. Vikan's article in this month's issue of Le Monde Diplo looks back at the five-day war Georgia fought against Russia in August last year, and investigates why it's so difficult to determine who was the aggressor and who the victim. He also considers its effect on the shaky stability of the region. I began, though, by asking him to remind us about the events of last August. In fact, it was uh, the same day as the opening of the uh, Olympics in, in Beijing, when um, the world news was uh, inundated by information about a war erupting in Georgia. The news reports coming from uh, the Caucasus said that it was Georgian troops which tried to invade and uh, take control of uh, South Ossetia. South Ossetia was uh, an autonomous region within Georgia in Soviet times, and in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a conflict, and since 92, it is considered to be a frozen conflict where there's a peacekeeping force of Russian, Georgian, and Ossetian forces. As I said, on, on the 7th of August, the Georgian side apparently tried to recapture this region. Well, for some weeks, there was escalation of violence in the region. This is a small uh, mountainous region uh, in the southern slopes of the, of the Caucasus, where uh, at the time, Osset and Georgian villages were living next to each other. And once you have tension, then uh, you know, there's, there's fighting starting mm. between uh, neighboring villages. Since then, there's a huge debate about who started the conflict. On the one hand, the Russian politicians, who later intervened uh, to, to push back the Georgian troops, argued that it was Georgia the aggressor and uh, the Georgians tried to do a genocide. This was the initial argument, saying that in, 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 in a matter of 48 hours, more than 1,500 Ossets were killed. On the other hand, the Georgian official line is that no, uh, we reacted to uh, Russian aggression because uh, the Georgian authorities put forward information about troop move- movements from Russia towards South Ossetia, and they considered this to be the, the trigger of, of the event. Since then, we, we somehow forgot about this conflict, although uh, last year in August, in September, October, this was uh, you know, the main news dominating, and some, some people said that there might be a, a larger war, uh, new polarization in Europe, uh, and there was new concern towards uh, Russian policies and Russian military behavior in the Caucasus, but even beyond. Some people feared that Russia could repeat such operations in other regions, such as in Ukraine. Now, in the article, you write about your own visits to the region. You, you were there shortly after the, the fighting, when the, the Russian troops were withdrawing. Perhaps you can tell me a little bit about what you saw on the ground and how you interpreted it. I went to Georgia in, in October, and just days after the, the Russian troops withdrew from uh, Georgia proper uh, and within the administrative uh, regions of South Ossetia and Abkhazia, what I did is to visit Georgian villages which had just been evacuated from Russian and, and Ossetian forces, villages which are at uh, two kilometer distance from, from uh, South Ossetian capital, Trinvali. It was a very interesting visit because I was expecting that um, there would have been much 
kind of destruction from street fighting in these villages, being border villages within mm. South Ossetia. But in fact, most of the destruction I saw was uh, the result of either bombardment, aerial bombardment, or more often it was the result of um, fire put uh, on intention from within the houses. So the houses were destroyed from within because they were burnt after being pillaged, after, after being emptied uh, mm. by marauders. And I rarely saw impacts on houses from the outside. Um, one village I remember, Ergneti, which is on mm. the main road between uh, Gori, the, the major Georgian city in the region, and Trinvali. I only saw one house which had uh, impact of, of, of bullets and, and three or four rockets from the outside. So probably I imagine this was a police uh, kind of offices or something like this where there was some resistance. But in the rest of the village, and I took my time and I walked around and visited houses, they were all burned from inside. I mean, the conclusion is that um, the Georgians were not defending. They, what they tried to do was uh, an offensive operation to take over uh, South Ossetia. And once the Russian troops intervened, they, they just withdrew uh, and didn't show resistance against the Russians. Now, you say in the article that what makes this conflict different from previous ones is that previously Georgia has been fighting against separatist movements of ethnic minorities, but in this case it was a war against the Russian army. So so clearly the stakes are higher and the risks are greater for it, for it boiling over into something larger. Yes. In fact, I, I started covering the Caucasus and the conflict since 1992. And at the time, my feeling was that these conflicts were the result of different popular mobilizations around similar themes, around the theme of who we are mm. and, and how, how the nation, how our people has the right over territory. So, for example, in, in Georgia, there was the Georgian Osset conflict and the Georgian Abkhaz conflict, which sometimes I felt that uh, this was erupting like, like a volcano coming from the ground, coming from the earth. Yeah. It was a time of complete insecurity and disorientation of the people because the Soviet Union collapsed so rapidly that uh, it, didn't, uh, it didn't give enough time for the formation and evolution of alternative political forces and enough time to negotiate new political systems. So mm -hmm. as a result, these emerging forces were clashing with each other. I would argue that today, last year in August 2008, the war had a different nature. Now, this was not the, 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 uh, the clash of different popular mobilizations around uh, a national project. This was the result of political decisions top-down deciding, now either this decision comes from Russia or, or Georgia, it's still being argued, but whatever the case, this is a top-down uh, war. It's not, it's not uh, kind of the eruptions we saw in the late 80s, early 90s. You talk in the article about how this war has left Saakashvili's administration in Georgia. And we're talking today at a time when a, when a demonstration is actually taking place in, in Tbilisi. And I wondered what your thoughts were on what effect it has had on his administration a few months on from the, from the war. Me, I think this, this war had a catastrophic impact on uh, Saakashvili as, as an image, as a leader, and his administration. One should mention that um, Mikhail Saakashvili came to power in November 2003 as a result of popular nonviolent revolution, uh, the Rose Revolution. And at the time, Saakashvili inspired enormous hope in Georgia and even beyond. Uh, mm. Many 
people outside Georgia were inspired by this model of uh, young, uh, active, um, Western-educated, uh, they're often repeated in, in media reports, although mm. Sarkashvili was also educated in Soviet times in Ukraine, in Kiev. Uh, but at any case, he gave the image of a modern person who, after uh, a decade of economic downfall, social um, degradation, and a corrupt regime under Shevardnadze, he came and he inspired hope of change, of modernizing Georgia, of bringing Georgia closer to the Western model of political and economic systems. Now, already in 2007, there was um, kind of increasing popular discontent with him. His reforms had destabilized the Georgian society. Unemployment was was uh, more important, and there were Im- important demonstrations against Saakashvili in November 2007, which were repressed by the police. And this was the turning point, I think, internally, uh, kind of drawing the border of the potential for change of Georgia from from within. And my my kind of impression is that the 2008 war uh, war was kind of an escape of Saakashvili from internal questions to the territorial issue. It's always easier to try to unite your people behind you when you have an outside enemy. And I think Saakashvili was trying to do this by escalating tensions, not just with the, with the Ossets, but mainly with the Russians. We saw all during uh, 2008 more and more tensions between Tbilisi and Moscow, which eventually created the background of this war. Today, Saakashvili is, is facing a very serious uh, problem because uh, uh, the opposition, which was kind of defeated during 2008, in the, in the different elections that were organized for the national parliamentary, now the opposition has once again the capacity to organize its forces, and at least two important figures from Saakashvili administration have joined the opposition today. So this gives the opposition even more uh, credibility. You write in the article about an initiative in 2007 by the Tbilisi Human Rights Center to say sorry to the Abkhaz population for the war back in 1992. And I thought that was very interesting because it it brings in the question you talked about a few minutes ago, the the who we are, the ethnic identity question. And you you suggest in the article that this is perhaps a first attempt to recognize the existential fears, as you call it, that some of these neighboring people's uh, experience and that, and that and Georgia is at least in some way beginning to, to recognize those. I mean, how, how optimistic do you think we should be about, about signals like that? Um, I think we should be optimistic. You know, Georgia is, is changing very clearly. Uh, but before that, uh, in Georgia, the dominant idea about this conflict is that Georgian nation is fighting Russia. Uh, and kind of they don't see on the horizon that the Ossets, the Abkhaz, they have also very legitimate concerns towards uh, Georgian nationalism. They don't realize that in the conflict uh, in the early 90s, in fact, the Abkhaz felt that they could be annihilated. In case they lose this war, the Abkhaz thought that they would stop existing as a group. And and these concerns are not felt uh, in, in Georgia. The Georgians, each time uh, they, they kind of increase the pressure on the Abkhaz, or the Ossets, they, they push them towards Russia. And these small national groups, I mean, for example, the Abkhaz, in Abkhazia itself, they are probably not more than 70,000 people. The whole population of Abkhazia today is around 200,000, 250,000. So the Abkhaz are a very small, tiny uh, mountain group uh, mm. in the western part of the Caucasian mountains. 
And I, I found very encouraging that in Georgia, in Tbilisi, there's a new generation of uh, human rights activists who recognize exactly this. And they said the only way for us to solve this problem is to apologize to the Abkhaz for the war we started, because the Georgians started the war in 1992. There's no mm. uh, debate about this. You know, yeah. The Georgian uh, forces entered Abkhazia and then occupied uh, large portions of it. So the, the first step towards creating conditions for peace in the Caucasus is when larger ethnic groups like the Georgians recognize that smaller ethnic groups have also legitimate concerns and even fears and to address them. You talk about remilitarization of both the Russians and the Georgians, and you talk about increase in paramilitary activity. And I wondered if you could just say, to what extent is the region less stable than it was before this conflict took place? Um, now, as a result of this conflict, now uh, Russia recognized South Ossetia and Abkhazia as independent republics. This in itself adds to the already complex political uh, setup in the Caucasus. By this recognition, Russia kind of closed the door to any settlement, uh, any negotiations, any peace settlement with Tbilisi, and is trying to force its will on Tbilisi. Now, for any Georgian leader, it's very difficult to accept that South Ossetia and Abkhazia are not part of Georgia, but independent republics. So as a result, Russia has to kind of guarantee the security of these two entities. And when you look at the geography of the Caucasus, these two regions are to the south of the Caucasus mountain chain, which means that Russia has to feed, has to supply the basic needs, and uh, has to create military bases in, in a region which is on the other side of the Caucasus, which is not very easy and it's costly. Uh, Russia today is talking about building new bases, military bases in, in uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia. Even they, they have recently declared that they want to build an airport in South Ossetia. Mm. South Ossetia has no airport and they want to build one. This creates additional problems both for Russia, for these ethnic groups who are going to be cut off from their natural geographic context because the Georgians will not accept this and will not uh, kind of uh, welcome them to... Uh, to do trade and uh, have other social and economic cooperation. And as a result, this will increase the tensions. And uh, already before the war, the tensions were very, very high. So uh, the result of this war is uh, more complication and more problems for the region, Georgia, but also beyond. I was talking to Viken Chetarian about his article, Who Started Georgia's Five-Day War? in the April issue of Le Monde Diplomatique. You can find full details of the contents of the issue online at mondediplo.com. You'll also find a complete archive of previous issues, as well as other features and podcasts. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and until next month, goodbye.